Welcome back, y'all, to Real Ballers Read. This is a very special episode because we invited back Forrest Evans, our favorite librarian. She was our very first guest on Real Ballers Read, so it was a real honor uh, to have her back on the show and just to talk about all things books. We talked about audiobooks, uh, her favorite books of 2023, the book bands, and thinking about more critical issues of gender, politics, and everything. It was just so great uh, to talk with Forrest again. And here at the start of the podcast, we were talking a little bit about our bookcases, what's on them, and what we've been reading recently. So that's what you hear me talking about right now. So without further ado, here is our episode. In like the last month, I've been just like making sure that I read the books that I own. You know, it's always easy to keep buying new ones, keep getting ones from the library, but like, I realized too that it only really takes a good three hours to like sit with the book and like know whether or not you want to finish it or not and whether or not you want to keep it. Um, so yeah, just just been doing that's been really fun because I'm like, man, I've been staring at these books for years. I still haven't read them. Yeah, it's always in the pursuit of new and what's hot and you know what what guests want to read. But yeah, gotta make sure I come around to reading my own books. There. That's one of my biggest struggles, finishing books. What I find myself doing is reading books to reference them for certain chapters that best resonate with me, mm -hmm. like cultural topics and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so what I try to do is I try to purchase the titles of books that I won't physically read in audiobook form. That way, oh. like... As I'm like maybe picnicking or going on a date, it's in the background and it's a conversation starter. So that way, like if in the you know, wait, the audiobook is in the background. Yeah. So yeah. you know how okay, so this is gang. So Go you on. know how most people will put on like their favorite playlist? Mm -hmm. I put on an audiobook when I have like guest over or a date. And like when we have those moments of where we're just quiet or there's not much to say, or you're we're doing two different things and we're listening to the same dialogue. Sometimes when we begin to like raise our like perspectives, I'll pause it and be like, okay, what do you think about that? And I'll go pick up the book and we'll go decipher. So it's always like, and sometimes I'll even do that like on a picnic or say like we're in the Uber or we're at your house and we're waiting for the Uber. I'll play it real quick. I'm like, oh, let me play you this real quick, this clip that I'm like listening to, but I'm going to read it. I've got the book in the car if you want to da 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 da. And so that's also a way to also process and comprehend different things and just to hear different perspectives of books that I wouldn't finish. This is literally the coolest book thing I, I think I've ever heard. <laughs> I swear, because like, I've always thought, you know, books are a thing you do alone, but to listen to an audiobook with someone else is such an intimate thing. That's so nice. And, it, and you can finally share a book. I guess yeah. I have done it driving. Uh, like I've, I've, listen to audiobooks with my family or friends but mm -hmm. that feels so much different than on a date and i love that oh, i man. actually loved audiobook date for yes. took it to another level with that take you have to especially if you're wow. getting to know someone on the intimate level and like it's so easy to share a playlist or to send mm -hmm. a quick song that makes you think of them where it's like mm -hmm. Janata or Darren dunbar or we're doing right. like old school vocal jazz but when you send a specific audiobook or a chapter from an audiobook, and then they're like, hey, I heard it, 
this is what I think. You yeah. you get to, you know, understand them in a whole nother level. Right. Like, hey, Jan. <laughs> but also, like, you've done it before. As I was telling your brother, Jan, or Miles, I was just telling Miles, Jan, um, <laughs> you've done that before in school. If you remember, like, in elementary school, listening to the audiobooks of mm. books together, that communal learning, it yes. just provides a grounding effect where, like, you literally are just focusing on the dialogue and the conversation and the context before you. And then each other's personal experiences are representing the perspective. So, right. Mm. What do you think are the best type of books to have as audiobooks? Like, what are your favorite? Because I feel like there's a specific type of books that work really well on audio and some that don't. So, I'm curious mm-hmm. to get your take on it. Okay. So, as I was, okay. So, Jan, you're married. So, you don't need this kind of game, but for the listeners of Miles and myself. So, for <laughs> an audiobook for a date, I would definitely say historical fiction. Uh, spectacular fiction, uh, Afrofuturism, and memoirs, biographies. Uh, whether you're listening to like Iceberg Pimp uh, or Iceberg Slim Pimp, which is a good audiobook to listen to. That one is crazy. Uh, that way, I've heard that one. That was absolutely yes. yes. Listen to it on a date. You'll get that way you can understand your, you know, your woman's perspective on not human rights, but women liberation, sex work, you know, that whole relationship between him providing them protection, but emotional protection etc and the support um i also would say god is a black woman you guys just posted black folks which is a really great title mm-hmm. so purchase that audio title um for a good date but like say you wanted to start miss like i am i'm the oldest so like if i'm on a road trip with my dad or mom i'll like buy a bio or an audiobook of a biography so like uh the mother of black hollywood or uh, Becoming by Michelle Obama. We'll listen to certain titles like that. Or sometimes I'll even throw in Pimp by Iceberg Slim. My parents hate it. But it starts <laughs> conversations of things yes. that they just generally wouldn't introduce, like traumas, sexual history, protection, abstinence, religion, yep. spirituality, walking away from the church, things like that. So, Wow, that's such a great range of um, stuff. One of my most recent audiobooks that I've been reading is mm-hmm. Beloved by Toni Morrison. And that one is crazy because it's read by her. And like, I think it totally did change how I was reading it. Cause I, cause I, this, this, this is one of those books where I wanted to do the audio and read it at like the same, same time, but it changed the way I was reading it because she was reading it really slowly. And like, I could just tell the intention that she had in Lily every single word and I was like, man, this is liter- literature to really savor. And if I'm mm-hmm. not taking my time with it, um, I'm not really doing it justice, on- honestly. And um, yeah, I, I even had to take a pause. So I need to pick it back back up this week. That's one that I yeah. wouldn't necessarily read for a date. But maybe that's probably why it's the best choice to read for a date. So, yeah. Or... You know, to pair that with that title, Beloved, I would say The Last um, Interview by Bill Hooks. That's also wow. a good one to do. Uh, I think it's also narrated by Bill Hooks, a por- portion or great significance of it before. Actually, excuse me, the entire thing, because it's a mock of. Yes. So, yes, definitely check out that one then if you like wow. the cadence of an author uh, reading their own work, because it does provide a different visual experience as mm-hmm. well. Because it almost as if they're talking directly to you in that audience. So yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, no, I um like the there there have been a few audiobooks that I really loved. Um On Earth were briefly gorgeous for sure. It was like a big one because I was also read by the author Ocean Vuong and 
he sounds like he's like on the verge of crying the whole time. So then like mm-hmm. it brings you to the verge of crying the whole time. And you're just yeah. like, what? You know, um, and then the color purple as well has a really interesting one where they actually have like multiple narrators um, who like do the different voices and everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, even hearing you talk about it now, like I think audiobooks is still and maybe especially important for those folks like in the committed relationships just for like you know having another way of engaging with story together um because yeah. we already like watch a lot of shows but then having like the audio book where you don't have the extreme visuals of like a show so then it's kind of like your imagination is going crazy and i've never even thought to listen to audiobooks with other people like that at the same time and and have the conversation like around there yeah no this is so needed that you brought up audiobooks because i feel like we haven't even talked about them and enough on our show but no, they are well, actually we haven't severely yeah, so underrated and like yeah i think such a great bridge just for readers who haven't read in a while because yeah it's it's that perfect yeah just perfect bridge like you can go on walks with audiobooks yeah. that's what i have yeah. been doing recently too yeah. and it's just a whole world uh, there that it really does feel a little less um, taxing like it's you know flowing to you it's literally like being read a a story as kids yeah. as that just as you were saying with class you know with my reading fluency I've noticed that audiobooks help me to read more not only because as I was mentioning uh, Jan to Miles is that I purchase audiobooks of titles that I won't finish that I physically purchase so that way it encourages me to utilize them outside of just me referencing them in talks about public pop culture or things that I'm summoned to. Um, so like for an example, uh, I recently published uh, the 21st uh, Century Black Librarian in America, and that title is written by one of my mentors, Chandra Walker. And that was cultivated by some Black and Brown librarians, a part of the Black Caucus Librarian Association. Uh, I damn sure am not going to finish that title, but I purchased the audiobook. But so I know that I will listen to that, like if I'm on a picnic or something, or if I'm in the audience, or if I'm in the company of other like librarians or maybe solicits or avid readers like yourself. And also, let me say this um, I am not the best reader out loud when it comes to reading in public or reading experts but audiobooks provides me that experience to just kind of like mimic the cadence as you were mentioning miles of the author and also it provides me another voice i know this sounds kind of crazy inside your head because it's so easy to comprehend what you're reading and apply what you're reading by your own inner voice and consciousness but when you have that other voice it almost provides you a conversation to really dissect what you've learned about what best resonates with you and why you like it and unpacking that and that's really helped me along my self-discovery audiobooks have really helped me with that my self-discovery these past two to three years Mm. wow wow no i think to miles's point about the walks as well like i noticed that when i have a good audio book like i'm itching to walk so that i can listen to it longer then i also stay out on the walk longer um and so even like that dual Right. Because it's like you have the conversation between you and like the narrator um, of the book, as you were saying, Forrest. And then you also have the conversation of you as a person in whatever space you're in and like Mm -hmm. being able to like find yourself engage in a new way, just like making sense of your body in space, too. Uh, So it does become like a 
like just really multifaceted practice. Damn, I'm I'm tight that we haven't talked yeah. about audiobooks more. I'm saying, <laughs> but this is why we let this me, is why we're talking now. You know what I'm saying? Appreciate. Let you me throw it. something out here to you guys then. Yeah. Okay, and let me hear your perspective on. I want your honest opinion. All right. Instead of a book club, imagine an audiobook club. But instead of discussing what we reviewed, we can provide a visual ex- like contribution like a drawing or something like that that way it contributes to the fan fiction of the audiobook or just a visual experience Whoa. and that'd be a, like a, a book club an audiobook club whoa <laughs> that's crazy that's you, chilly. I, I mean what wow i feel like that like just helps fulfill so many like parts of being an artist and just like <laughs> nurturing that inner artist and every person that was in that club because they can only sketch doodle do whatever and just see what comes of their experience from the audio that's a great wow yeah that's so far yeah i don't know if i would want to see the uh doodles to icebergs limbs book but uh <laughs> everyone else sure yeah you gotta you yeah. gotta pick the right book yeah. <laughs> beloved yeah exactly. <laughs> Ooh, i you know, know. Well, let me say this. Let me be toxic. Ooh. All right. Or a chaotic neutral. I am hoping that specific people will write a book so that way it is turned into an audio book and they narrate it like Jocelyn Hernandez, like the Puerto Rican princess or mm-hmm. Dr. Umar Johnson. If he wrote, <laughs> oh my gosh, if Dr. Umar Johnson, don't bring, don't bring your white wife to this lab. If he were to yeah. write yeah. a book and narrate it, <laughs> I would... Bunny one. I would I would play it at maximum volume everywhere I would. I would be ignorant as I'd be oh I can't curse too much on the but I'd be ignorant. Just, just like just like how just like how uh folks be blasting music in their car using yes. Umar Johnson's audiobook. Yo, that would be crazy, bro. I know. Oh my gosh. You know, I I know he has a book. Uh I haven't even read it though. I got to. Mm-hmm. On a, I think it's unapologetically African is the name of the book. Okay, too. I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. I think. So you, you clearly though have so you have so much range in what to read, and I love that. And I think Thank it you. really speaks to just how nuanced and complex and beautiful of a thinker and just person that you 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 are. But in like the last you know couple of months or even year, like what do you think? It's kind of the part of yourself that you've really been trying to explore through your reading. Mm. I have been right now in a process of deconstruction, trying to unpack mm. some of the things that I best resonate with. And so here I feel like this is probably going to be called my cancel season, what I'm about to say. But I grew up in a predominantly conservative white environment. Mm. And not that I, you know, see myself as a Republican, but I have aligned, I have seen how some of my current thinking has aligned with certain conservative Mm. um, rhetoric, not entirely, but I was like, hold on, you know, like for example, immigration, yes, the United States is one of the only countries that provides a different kind of process to become a citizen. However, I do believe that there are more amenities afforded to certain citizenship, especially when they have become a full citizen regardless of their status currently, than that are awarded to many people of color in this country. For Mm. example, when you obtain certain citizenship, there's also certain financial support, certain community resources you're already given, but that are not provided for people that live in a food desert or that don't have a transit system 
that don't have access to a car and are living below the poverty level in their state, not even national wide. And so right. I feel like, hey, the way we support not only many of the people that come in through immigration, we should also support many people here that are building the country based on commerce and consumerism. Mm. And so when I see those conversations, it's mostly in the Republican sector, but I am not in alliance with their opinions of what should happen, but I appreciate that they are bringing up the conversation. And then right. it brings me to the awareness of what is prioritized on the Democratic Party. You know, I see I am, you know, a registered Democrat and have been and support all professional organizations of Georgia and actually for the Democratic Party. I wish we would choose better for next year. Oof. I don't know who we choose for 2024. <laughs> I'm praying, you know, I'm right. praying, I'm praying, you know, maybe Vice President Kamala will step on up and maybe Stacey will, you know, you right. know, but Stacey's a whole other conversation. We're going to have to table that because that's yes. like Queen oh. Latifah. You know, that's, <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs> But so I'm appreciative that the are on the other side of the House and Senate that we have conversations started within the Republican sector. But mm. I am not appreciative for the efforts of censorship, of lack of access and circulation, especially when it comes to not wealth building, but understanding logistics for how to build wealth in this country, wherever you are socioeconomically. Mm. And so I am relying on the Democratic Party, especially this year and moving into the election year to be more aware of these conversations. Because they're going to put it on the docket the same way, like, for example, the state of Georgia has five advancing legislations that affect educational resources would make it hard to put not only critical race theory, black and religious and gender studies, but LGBTQ titles. And that's all from the right wing. So, of course, I'm not in support of that at all. But I'm like, hey, you know, I need more Democratic people to be aware of this because this is an attack on educational resources for all readers. You know, it doesn't mm. provide them the access to have free resources to these titles in a public or academic library. Instead, they have to definitely purchase it at an independently published, independently owned bookstore or a bookstore like Barnes and Noble. And again, a free neutral learning environment like a library provides that free access. So it's definitely right now we're right now the dog whistle term is the time of uncertainty, but it's truly a consensorship, a mm -hmm. conservative consensorship craze. That's what we're in right now. Mm -hmm. And I wish people would call a spade what a spade is and pull your highest spade and play it because some, your platform and your notoriety can raise awareness to it. That's why I'm so appreciative of not only your podcast, but podcasting in general, because it provides that conversation for people to similarly to an audiobook to understand what the point of topics are, understand what's happening on both sides and making the best informed decision for themselves to contribute to either effort. Mm. See, yeah. And I, and I would say though, like, even though you might share some of that rhetoric, like the way you just express that, it's like, it shows a real need and just a real care for people and, and still trying to meet their needs. In a, in, a, in, a, in a way that I would say conservatives generally um, don't do. It seems like mm -hmm. they, they more are concerned with self and making sure, you know, the needs of the individual aren't, um, or, or just their money isn't going towards others really as, as much as necessary. Um, but yeah, that's a great point. We're in a very divisive era uh, especially mm -hmm. to be, you know, 
as accepting and um, just freedom love loving of of knowledge as we are. You know, we really want to read everything, want access for every everyone to read everything. And mm-hmm. I actually haven't heard much about Georgia in the news, though, about this. What is it, is it like? I'm sure it's crazy, but. Ooh, so at least five states, Arkansas, Georgia, Kentucky, and Texas have not only established legislation, but advancing laws that are now attacking specific educational resources in the public and academic sector. Uh, for example, Texas has just relinquished all librarian and media specialist positions from 23 elementary schools. And there are 43 schools that are what? doing assessment. Yes, which leaves the entire discovering discovering titles, the accuracy for your reading level, reading fluency, retention on the backs of teachers, and now other educators that had a professional to support them. And this is all because they want to not only because the fiscal year always ends in October, funding always starts in February, that's nationally, and then states adopt that depending upon how they orchestrate their fiscal year for spending. And as we have budget cuts in an election year, librarians and media specialists are low-hanging fruit, especially with certain right-wing rhetoric and censorship and wanting to erase certain titles, like whether it be like, uh, excuse me, Florida, that is trying to dissolve all Black studies, AP, anything that has to do with Hispanic, Latino women, et cetera, because of their lack of control. This is all about authority and control and also trying to elevate certain superior complexes of what history should be. You know, as they say, if the lion cannot tell the story, the hunter will always be the victor. And that's exactly what's happening right now. And Georgia is following code. As you know, Georgia is one of the last states to pass certain liberating, uh, as I would say, human rights from it be cannabis, educational resources, uh, hormones and resources, proper medical care for women, as well as medical resources for men. You know, when we discuss healthcare, that's one thing that often isn't discussed. We talk about women and children. And men are secondary, not only from physical, but mental health. You know, that is needed, especially when we talk about paternity under the law. There are certain laws that do not protect men. And it's mostly men of color that aren't married that are having to find and illustrate their not only authority under the law as a paternal father, but there's a lack of laws that protect them from obtaining custody, child care, financial support under the law. Not only that, but mental resources and health care for themselves. So when we talk about proper health care for all Americans, it includes men, women and children, you know. And, you know, that's one thing that I also want to talk about when, you know, Miles, you mentioned one of my unlearning. Feminism is for the equality and equity for all genders, not just women is for all genders. So when we discuss being a feminist, I like my ears start turning up when I ask them questions about men. And then they say, well, we're talking about women. I say, I understand that. But if you're a feminism and this is the rhetoric, the core and the lens that you're discussing this in, I would also like to know, what are you doing for the men population and community, not just cisgender, but trans mm. as well and men of color? Because if we're having the conversation about all these other intersectionalities of womanhood, you also are having this conversation about manhood, masculinity, and are amplifying the voices from that community not just providing a perspective of it. And so that's one side that I agree with with Dr. Umar when he talks about mental health and physical health. You know, men are oftentimes, oh, I'm going on a tangent. No, I love it. You're you're running. Dr. Umar is right when we discuss that. And that's one thing that I appreciate about him when he reiterates not only how we need to protect masculinity, but amplify and also protect 
childhood boyhood as it transitions into adolescence and manhood because there's something that's missing as a community that doesn't value and place that a part of the general conversation when we discuss that and so that's one thing i'm looking forward to from some of our not only candidates for next year but how they're going to position that because oftentimes when we fight or when we advocate for masculinity or manhood in any sense it's Mm. oftentimes weaponized as it's all about the boy club or you know we're taking attention away from women but as i mentioned before the core definition of of femininity and being a feminist is that you're for the equality and equity for all genders. So I love to hear how you talk about women, but go off on men too in a positive way. Right. Wow. I've actually never heard that breakdown of feminism and I really appreciate that. And, you know, my mind though, unfortunately went straight to the Barbie movie. And I'm curious because this is a thing that Jen and I have been talking about uh, for the last Mm. month. Um, since seeing it, what are your thoughts? Cause I think it plays right into this conversation because the film, you know, uh, really tries to look at women and men in interesting ways. Um, and intersectionality too is kind of absent in the film, but mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Curious to see my favorite live, live, live parents thoughts. Yeah. Y'all ready? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So with this conversation, stop me if y'all want to go into specific sectors. So visually, I understand the objective to have stereotypical Barbie as the core narrative. And in my opinion, visually, they did check off the boxes with representation from Asian male. But however, I didn't appreciate how they had a silent black kid. Like, I don't remember him having multiple lines outside of just being visually there. Um, but I saw how they tried to reiterate how, um, stereotypically how black women as president Barbie is an authority over, you know, womenhood and unity and gathering folks. So culturally and in a satirical way, I can see how they, they hit the significance of cultural ties. Mm -hmm. What I have a problem with is that yes, Ken is enough, enough, or however they put it. And Ken is just Ken. But when you have that rhetoric, Okay, let's start with the origin of Barbie. Barbie, yes, ratified how we play with Barbies because it provided women from having an opportunity of just exploring dolls as a mother, but now having something that they could duplicate as I could be this, I could have my femininity, I could be strong, I can have different occupations. However, similarly to how we have a lack of representation in any media of storytelling, so did Barbie duplicate that in society. And in the film, I did not appreciate how they reiterated Ken as a secondary character because without their love story and him being at least present, Barbie's story wouldn't be as relatable or as savory to some women because that's sometimes how women see men as a secondary character. And men, just like Barbie, are their own line of toys. They have needs and wants as well if we were to humanize them, not to objectify them as I feel Ken was. And also I didn't, I did not, as I mentioned before, appreciate how there was a silent black Ken there. I feel like he didn't have as many lines compared to some of the Asian Barbies and some of the other illustrations. Now I saw how they had, you know, America as, you know, a strong lead and she's Hispanic. So they, like I said, they culturally hit on a lot of great visual representations that many people would have asked for direct, asked for directly. However, if you remember in the opening scene, it was a group of like, you know, 
shabby, janky looking like little white girls playing in the desert. And it was in a sepia brown and monochromatic tone. I feel like the director did that specifically to show that consumerism for Barbies initially, especially in the 1940s, 50s and 60s, were white women and middle class. And that, yes, there were other dolls possibly represented that weren't mainstream and that you wouldn't see them unless you look through maybe a people of color lens. And I believe that's why she maybe had them in a black or a brown look, monochromatic brown look, because, yes, we're looking at white girls playing with dolls. But through the director's lens, you can also see brown girls playing with brown dolls if you look at it through an artistic lens in that way, but not visually being shown because you're looking at white women and the origin of Barbie. And so when you look at certain like artistic cinematic touches like that, in my opinion, especially with that coloring and work, especially when you look at the end of the movie and you see Barbie in brown uh, shoes and she's wearing flats and she's going to a gynecologist, you see like an arch of that use of the color brown, but it's showing like an origin and then a beginning because when many women go to a gynecologist, it's in the beginning of adolescence so that way they understand certain uh, healthcare needs and wants that they may need for pleasure or for protection or contraceptives or et cetera. And so when you see that, it's like a full arch almost. Mm. Wow. I did not view that at all. Broke that down so crazily. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm, I asked the right person. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, um, switching gears a little bit, we had just in our last episode, uh, got to reconnect with um, Travis Green, another fellow like Black Books Grammar, and uh, talked about this book called Forget the Alamo um, mm-hmm. with one of the authors, uh, Jason Stanford, who, you know, the book is about like Texas, right? And the story of the Alamo and how it's this like foundational myth um, that is very much a myth, right? And doesn't have much like basis, in fact, uh, but has very like real political um, implications just for like how Texas is created. And so on the point of like censorship and that this whole moment right now of the conservative kind of censorship, even our conversation with Wes Lowry on American white lash, like, uh, Mm. you know, I think, I think that, that this is very much like a continuation of the conversations we've been having. Uh, something that Travis said that really hit me a different way was that when he got back from, uh, his time in Europe with the military, like he said that he just felt a lot more open um, to like different kinds of folks. And I think that that's something that, uh, you also just so exemplify and embody is like what it means to choose to be open. Um, so I'd love to ask you just like, like, what is that choice? And like, how is it that you, or or why is it that you make the choice to be open, um, and stay open to all different kinds of like folks and perspectives, uh, especially given like how hard it is to do right now. Um, so I only have one little brother and I grew up, it's just the two of us, somewhat like you and Jay and almost like with your closeness. Mm-hmm. And so I always saw the world as us against the world until I began reading and finding different perspectives that align with how I felt without having to explain that to my little brother. And then I realized it's me against the world, but I want to meet other people like me that are committed to seeing other people win without having to know them or love them or take care of them, just being around them, just wanting them to be at peace and attached to their peace and joy. And so making the choice to be open is simply because I want to see the adult that I needed as a child presently. And I also want to see them nourish their inner child. It's tough. Like I was mentioning to Miles, 
you know, sometimes it feels like it's harder to combat and address your childhood traumas, but it's actually in your adulthood because you're faced with not only your inner child, your adolescence that was often overlooked, but the you that you want to become. So there's three different versions of you almost present. And I want them to be embraced and loved by to whomever is around them, even when I'm not in my tribe or when I'm out of my comfort zone. And so I know that takes, as I was mentioning before, self-discipline. I have to take individual time, like no matter if I want to check up on my niggas and all, or excuse me, check up on my people and all that. <laughs> if I want to check up on my people, Lord, <laughs> feel like that meme now. Niggas, oh, Lord, have mercy. That little, you know, that Karen, yeah. uh, ooh, Karen Clark meme. Lord, have mercy. Forgive me. Y'all, that's my daughter, Umar, Freudian slip coming out in me. <laughs> Umar, Umarian slip. That's really funny. <laughs> Speaking of which, I need to see this school open because I'm tired of sending money and all I all see right. is a gym. You know what I'm saying? And you getting married and so I need, I need Thank you. No. But, <laughs> but just being committed to that and, you know, mentioning self-discipline, you know, when you read, that's your me time, whether you read a physical book or an audio book or you're reading collectively or in discussion in a library club or book club. Um. But that self-discipline has taught me routine. And that was something that I was mentioning to Miles is that a routine is so needed. You know, the one common thread about readers is self-discipline and then prioritizing their me time or self-care, because that's a part of having that time to comprehend, apply, to journal, to reflect. And that is also a part of reading. Reading is a part of the mountain. Coming down is what you do with it, how you apply it, how it resonates in your works and efforts. Wow. Wow. Some people just get stuck on top of the mountain and that's why they become loud and wrong because they're like, I found all this information. This is new. I'm the first person that discovered this idea. You got to hear me out. And then it's like, oh, you're tone deaf. Because if you were reading more, you'll understand there's a whole conversation. This is just one perspective. But if you get down that mountain and climb more and higher, you won't, you won't become Sisyphus climbing up a mountain and going back down. You're going far. You're going forward. I think when people think about a mountain, they only think about that one triumphant journey. But when you go through so many valleys and mountains and hills, you're going forward. That's mm. the goal. Mm. Which which mountain or valley do you think you're on now? Oh, I feel like I am coming out of a valley. Mm. Um, I did not know I was in a valley until I went to Philadelphia. Mm. I saw so much of the country's monumental history that represented the founders. And I was like, I am not here at all. I would have been outside or tending to some like field or something. Like there's not a woman of color, not Hispanic and Asian, nothing represented here. Like the literal copy, when the first copies of the constitution were there and I'm all I could see in the room were just white people of, of all different ancestries. And I'm thinking some of these people have, some of these people aren't even citizens of this country and they're coming here to see fundamental documents and nothing here on the walls, from the floor, from the ceiling screams, you were welcomed here. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw that, I was like, okay, let me go to a bookstore to like recharge. So I went to Giovanni's room, which is the country's oldest queer owned and queer focused bookstore. And wow. just seeing different perspectives. And like when I read Black Ice by Lorraine Carey, or I once was um, Puerto Rican 
by Elsa Miranda Santiago. I got another hard copy there. I was like, okay, hearing a Hispanic attorney and hearing just this this narrative of just self-discovery, I was like, okay, the reason why this country works is because it was built for those that represent its fundamental cornerstone. But the change that's needed is a collective work. So in order to show up for myself, I also have to show up for others so they can see themselves in rooms that weren't built for them, that there are monumental places that we have, like in D.C., that when they walk into the uh, National Museum of African-American History and Culture, that it is overbearingly loud at Mm. what the work is. And so that taught me about the valley that I was in. So I, I bought a list of books. Uh, the book I recently purchased was, where is it? Uh, yes. <laughs> Awake, which is a graphic novel. Awake, it talks about slave revolts in uh, New York. It's by Dr. Rebecca Hall, and it's a beautiful graphic novel. I read it three times as I was traveling throughout Philadelphia. And just also exploring the Black history and culture there, I went to uh, the uh, African-American Museum of Philadelphia. was blown away at different mediums that were used to just illustrate the Black experience but their significance on Afro-Latina and Hispanic culture and contributions to the diasporic um, narrative and that it's not secondary. And it just taught me a lot, you know, and a lot that I needed to unpack and detach in order to be lifted to another frequency of thinking. Mm. 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 No, you're definitely coming out of a valley, if not on the <laughs> mountaintop range. No, you're really flowing at another <laughs> level. Um, I feel like I've been deep in a valley. I don't know if I've been to the mountaintop yet. Uh, but you've seen uh, it. <laughs> you've seen it. Still no, bro. I ain't even seen it yet, bro. Nah, no, bro. but you... Yeah, for years. No, but, that, but that's Forrest's whole point, right? Yeah. That you go through, like... Like, you, you've been at peaks and yes. come down yes, and, like, definitely. apply them, you know? Definitely. Um, I mean, even... Like, I had never even thought how no. much that is, the practice of, like, even reading a book, going out the peak, and then like the whole kind of journey down so it's like there's almost not just one like peak and valley but like several going at different times depending mm-hmm. on what the context is mm-hmm. and just that visual illustration helps me also to finish a book so i don't feel like i'm deserting myself at the top of the mountain loud or wrong that i need to continue to comprehend and grab as much information about that conversation that why i am given an informed decision because information changes and as it right. does, you need to be able to adapt. And not only reading has also taught me how to say I'm wrong or I misspoke because information changes. New laws, new uh, versions, uh, a series that is published of a title, new information is available. And if you don't engage it, you're giving a timely experience. And I've mm. learned to say, oh, I misspoke. Can you share that resource with me? And that's taught me not to fold or to show that that's a sign of weakness, but it's taught me to say, okay, I don't have all the information and it's okay if I'm wrong, but I don't need to be loud with it. Yep. I need to pick a struggle, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yep. So we are, this is October 1st, 10 months mm. into 2023. What would you say is your top book of 2023 so far? That was published in 2023? Oh, no, no. I read. That, that you read that you've read yeah yeah definitely not we don't we don't do that yeah, yeah. <laughs> no we don't care for that i think it would have to be this one i have always been me by mm. precious uh brady davis i was very surprised 
They grew up in the Omaha foster care system, Pentecostal background, highly religious, but is also biracial and grew up gender nonconforming. And as they became into their awareness and was able to actualize that, they are now a beautiful trans woman with two children and their partner is also trans. He is a trans woman. And so just understanding gender, because a lot of people think, because, you know, I'm a lesbian, that I know everything it is about queer and queer intersections and what not to say and what to say. But like I said, things change. And Mm. growing up as a gender nonconforming person and then coming into their trans identity and then marrying a trans man who also had two of their children biologically, it's like, oh, you know, it's like, oh, I don't have all the information. Let me... And then even listening to it on audiobook, I got a different taste of the book. You know, I that's why I pair music with my books is because when you open it, it feels like a soundtrack almost. Mm-hmm. And I also suggest that people create a soundtrack to a book if they need that. If they don't like an audiobook, they need, they need to listen to music. You know, I have some great playlists, but create your own. But when I played this book, I was like, <laughs> you know, shameless plug. <laughs> But when I read this book, I was like, oh, I don't have all the information, not only historically, but medically about different genders and wow. also cisgendered men and trans men. Like there are certain things that I thought I knew, but I don't. And let me go research this because I've been speaking wrong upon me finishing this book about, you know, men's bodies. And, you know, it literally illustrated my lack of knowledge. And I was like, oh, I can't imagine being in those conversations with me previously and me speaking confidently about something I had little to no information about, but what I believed I did because of the little information I was so attached to. So this mm. book was definitely a game changer for me this year. So. And what is the name of the book again? It's called I Have Always Been Me by Precious uh, Brady Davis. Brady Davis, mm. excuse, excuse me, if I'm not mistaken, she is a city councilman in Chicago. She's a no water. Yeah, she's over. She's the first queer open um, elected uh-huh. candidate in Chicago that works on the city commission, if I'm not mistaken. She works oh. for the water distribution or water something. What? Oh, that's so fire. Yeah. Got to gotta, gotta find her. Yeah. yeah. She lives in Hyde Park on the south side of Chicago. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Seriously. Well, shout out to Chicago. Look at that, Mom. That's right. Shout out. Right? Oh. oh. Wow. <laughs> Jay, wow. you in there too. You in there. I love your bookshelf though, Jane. That's gorgeous. Oh yeah, yeah. Appreciate you. That is gorgeous. Yeah, you know, ge- no gender, uh, sex, sexuality. Those are like so big for you know being things that everyone kind of like gets taught immediately uh, when they're born. But like, mm-hmm. as in like they're just like strict binaries and categories, and everything's like you know straight, narrow, and simple. Um, mm-hmm. But right, like just I mean, that is another part of this moment, right? Which is just that like I think folks like fluency and like um just commitment to like speaking up and speaking out on like how queer things really are, right? And like how how queer our mm-hmm. bodies really are, uh naturally is just like a really um exciting part of this time. And so like I'm curious when you say like, you know, those those little pieces of information that you held on to uh like what's an example of that right because i'm sure Mm. i'm sure like we all do just from like growing up being taught things were one way when we're actually like wait a second they're actually a lot more like fluid than even those definitions uh imply um i would have to say with men's health care it wasn't until i was reading a lot of queer titles about how women are afforded health care 
from Planned Parenthood to if you're displaced or homeless. But when I thought about that perspective, like I was like, what happens if I were a gay Black man and I needed certain health resources and I looked at what's provided through the state and I looked at through other organizations like 100 Black Men and things like that, mm. I began to realize, uh-oh, there's a whole like community of men of color not only if they're straight or queer, but that aren't protected or afforded the similar or same healthcare or social economic or social welfare programs that women are. And then I began to realize like some of the feminists that are advocating for all genders aren't speaking about this. But I noticed that when cisgendered men, whether they be straight or queer, talk about healthcare, they're often overlooked when it comes to what they need as well. And then I realized, okay, some of these circles are overlapping, but they're not really seeing how identically they're saying the same thing in a lot of ways. And so I believe, you know, one of my suggestions after what I've read is what I'm trying to apply is I believe that if not more cisgendered straight men spoke about it, but if more cisgendered women spoke about healthcare initiatives across the board, that this now becomes a human resource um, problem and initiative. It's no longer a women's issue or a queer issue. It's a human Right. So that way, not only am I getting what I need, you too, on the same bill that's being passed. And I think that's what provides liberation. So it wasn't until I was able to educate myself again, like I said, on cisgendered bodies, anatomies, autonomies, but also what sexuality looks like in a straight man, in a cisgendered black man, in a cisgendered queer black man, what that looks like. How do they feel safe to disclose or talk about like, hey, you know, I thought about or hey, I've seen this, or hey, I'm not cool with this, in a safe place that supports them physically, mentally, and spiritually, as I have resources easily available to me. So. Mm. 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 Wow. No, you're really just, again, in this short time, really expanding how I'm seeing gender too. And I think I'm definitely ripe for for some real work in in this space, uh, per, per personally, just want to uh, keep learning. And there's mm-hmm. just so much out there. And yeah, it's really just learning more about human, the, the human, human, human experience. It's really a, a beautiful thing. And I think like worrying too much about the language mm-hmm. has like, I feel like been the mental road roadblock for me of saying the wrong thing, but I don't really have to worry about saying the wrong thing if I'm spending most of my time trying to read and little li- listen and just learn. Um, I feel like I really want uh, to also just build the ha- habit of like showing up to spaces where I'm not even thinking of like talking. I just want to like show up to to see what folks say and uh share um i literally did it because my live my library here they don't host events uh with all 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 types of 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 folks and 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 groups and i've in the last week just started just going and i'm like wow like it's so great just to be able to sit and not have a point or a a agenda agenda or argument that I feel like I need to make that I can just be here um, mm-hmm. and feel comfortable, right? And yeah, yeah, just thank you, honestly, on that. 
many times. I'm glad you're enjoying the library events. Would yep. you and Jan ever host something at your local library? That would be cool. We've been talking about it, yo. We like, we're like, man, uh, our next phase, you know, that we really want to focus on, uh, mm-hmm. you know, after this podcast is doing in-person stuff. You know, we we feel really at home here in Chicago and really, mm-hmm. you know, want to open up all the ways that books have poured into us um, and just help build a community around that love. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And of course, you've definitely been like critical, foundational to us getting to this point, right? Because I mean, you were our first guest. Well, thank you. And the first, like, quote unquote, stranger that we like hit it off with immediately <laughs> over this love of books friends. and the energy, right? right? And I think that, like, just the the this podcast is just such a um beautiful story of what it means to connect with people yeah. in like deeper levels than we ever had before through a pandemic virtually True. like we like we've only you know like you know because of course when we actually did connect in person like it was like it's live you know what i'm saying it was like, yes, but, like yes, but like but like but that's that's what it was though is that for for most folks like it never or it has not yet even gotten to in person. Um, and yet there's just been so much uh like love. And I feel like, you know, our own relationship mm-hmm. with books has transformed for the better because of you and because of all the friends that we've gotten to like make through uh Bookstagram and the podcast. So I think that like it, it really is um wow. a moment or, or a transition really into like funneling um so much of like your love and passion like into like our local neighborhood environment like city all of chicago really the whole state potentially like um and and the whole country i mean fuck it right like why stop there yes. <laughs> you know but uh yes nationwide <laughs> yeah, exactly but that is some to miles's point that we are um that that we're really feeling the pull for right now mm-hmm. oh wow i receive that and i am so appreciative of you both you know, it literally is a community. I am an introvert, but it's the people that to whom shoulders I stand on titans. And just as you all uplift me, I hope to better uplift, support and amplify you all too. I mean, you guys are definitely in my tribe. So, I mean, I have met Jan, but I got to meet I know, Miles. No, nah, y'all but two I, about I, to be explosive. Yo. We, man, yeah, we going I know we are. I can't wait to come to uh, to Atlanta. It's been a minute. We're gonna be cutting up like just, just yeah. Give me a give me a whole twenty four hours, and trust me, you gonna love Atlanta. You gonna love Atlanta. What are you looking forward to? Really building out next? You know, you have your podcast too, which is incredible. Big fan, and you know, obviously, you have one of the best pages on insta instagram building your tribe too but like yeah do you want to pursue writing um Mm -hmm. you know more events what are you thinking of so i'm getting over a fear of being on camera that's why i haven't Mm -hmm. been on camera for almost a year it is very scary um especially i think that's that perfectionist coming out of me but what i want to see is season three I want to do an entire season three podcast of just guests. So I'm hoping I can like get y'all on there. I know but that'd be so awesome. <laughs> well, we... into existence yeah. when y'all are on it. Yes. Um, and I also want to conquer my fear of getting in front of the camera. 
Um, but if you are, I feel so comfortable because this feels like home. But, yeah. you know, going live or just something recorded and just being accessible to the general public is scary. It feels like I'm just putting myself out there like on a dating app. But, <laughs> yeah. I'll, you know, but I can't swipe left or right on it. So that's all, that's the best way to describe social media. It's like a dating app that you can't swipe left or right on, but other people can <laughs> do it to you. So it's like, uh, you know, <laughs> um, but I also wanted to begin vlogging. Um, so many people have asked me to just talk in length about books that I love. That's where I get a little controversial because I have a partnership with so many publishers that oh. if I give my full perspective on camera about a book, I do not want to cancel that author or be canceled in the process, right. especially with you know, how I've gained my platform and notoriety. I don't want to provide someone a different experience because, you know, many people, they love to talk about critical race theory, but they don't like to talk about critical thinking skills. So they'll hear a perspective Ooh. and just be like, I don't want to read it. And I'm like, yeah. you haven't even read the inside and the flyleaf. Like, at least give me that. Niggas <laughs> just be jumping on the ideas. Like, give it a chance, you know? Yeah. So yeah. that's also why I'm kind of hesitant because I'm like, I don't want someone to just go off of my review or perspective be like yep i don't want to read it and i'm like damn right. now that's hurting the pockets of a, a black or african or queer author so that's i'm a little like hesitant on long blogging but i'm interested in that yeah yeah i think that's so necessary that's so necessary though i mean because for the vlog to really even be long like you have to come at it with the nuance that just saying I don't mm -hmm. like it or don't read it, you know, can't give and, and that right would would be really short. But yeah, I I don't think that is even the point of reading just to say that you like something exactly. or not. Like at the end of the day, you don't have to say you need to learn or you need to get anything from the book. But mm -hmm. like, I a hundred percent believe that. If you sit for six hours reading or listening to a book and all you can say is mm -hmm. I like it or I don't like it, you did not read that book. Exactly. And you wasted your time if it's just about taste. It's surface level. Like, what is the point? Um, yeah. So, yeah. I agree with you. It does snub the book in its entirety, especially all the work and labor it takes to write a title and then you just oversimplify it. Mm. Right. Dr. Umar would not be proud. <laughs> Shout out, Umar, bro. Uh, LOL. You are really like flowing on another level, though. Like, honestly, like, you are definitely ready for the vlog era and oh, yeah, anything. Sure. Just, but the podcast is great, just the depth and everything like just can't can't wait to stay up with with you and everything that you're doing just incredible work mm -hmm. oh my goodness thank you miles i have enjoyed yeah. you also tell your mom i said hello yes. yeah <laughs> it was oh, good God. catching up with you both i mean yeah. i appreciate you both and what you do thank you yeah so, so thanks so much for us so much love thank you so much for listening to this episode of real ballers read you can check out Forest Podcasts, Favorite Librarian, the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And you can follow her over at Instagram at Your Favorite Librarian on Instagram. 
we were so happy to have her on in the show and we will catch you in the next episode. Talk to you soon.